Before we start the show, I just wanted to take a moment and thank everyone for the support and amazing reaction we have received over our first three episodes. Making our little show every week is so much fun, and to have so many of you subscribing, downloading, and enjoying it means the world to us, and we can't thank you enough. If you have any questions or want to send us some ideas for upcoming episodes, we would love to hear them. You can write to us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can join the Instagram page and follow us at letstalkaboutchef. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're back for a new episode, welcome back. It's great to have you. If you can, please find the time to subscribe and review our show on iTunes. It really helps to spread the word about us. That's enough from me. Let's get into episode four of Let's Talk About Chef. There are certain names that get stuck to the pages of history that are instantly recognized. Einstein, Tesla, Da Vinci. Decades, even sometimes centuries after their mortal deaths, these names stand out and we celebrate their genius. We celebrate the innovation that they left behind, the imagination and knowledge of these people and these brains that shaped the way that we live today. The thing is, is that in some cases we don't need to look to the past to find figures whose actions will outlive themselves. There are people alive and working today whose names will be remembered for centuries to come. Names that will forever be said in the same regard as those geniuses from the past, and names that will instantly invoke a sense of wonder and magic to those who know about them and even those who don't. If you were to go up to a child today and say the name Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, or Neil Armstrong, or even Cleopatra, they would probably, and without checking their smartphones, be able to tell you who these people were or at least know of their accomplishments. And that's an amazing thing when you really think about it. To be remembered. To have left a mark on history so profound that generations from now, your name will be recognized as someone who changed something and affected the way we live as a human race. It's a rare and almost impossible gift. There is one name in the culinary world that will be remembered forever. One name that if for some insane reason, the human race can last another thousand years. It will be studied, researched, taught in universities, and talked about in the same breath as Shakespeare, the Beatles, or Winston Churchill. His mark that he left and continues to leave on the world of food has still yet to be fully understood or realized. His impact on gastronomy is still being felt, and it will be felt for generations to come. He influenced literally everything modern about restaurants. And he became not just a chef, but entered into that rarefied air of an artist. He was Picasso, became Mozart, became immortal. And although he shut the doors on his restaurant years ago, he is still devoting every day of his life to the mission of trying to change what we know and understand about food. There has never been another chef in all of history that has been interviewed, written about, or studied more than this man. And he's only 56 years old. There has never been another chef who has so freely given away his most closely guarded secrets more than this man. Every single dish and recipe he and his team have ever invented, and there's more than 4,000 of them, have been painstakingly catalogued and can be found for free online or in one of the massive books that he wrote. His knowledge is available to whoever wants it. One man in one restaurant found down a winding, narrow coastal road and perched on a remote cliff in Spain will be remembered from now until the end of time. He is truly the wizard behind the curtain. I'm Brian Clark, 
And this week on Let's Talk About Chef, I'm going to take you through the life, legacy, and try to pull back the curtain on one of the most important culinary minds in all of history, Ferran Adria and his restaurant El Bulli. Ferran Adria is controversial. You don't get to the top of the game without attracting mountains of hatred by cooks, chefs, and diners alike. You don't create one of the most impressive and influential restaurants the world has ever seen without being called pretentious, a charlatan. Even some of his critics going as far as saying that eating at El Bulli was unsafe. The sheer amount of chemicals, gelling agents, and molds that were used every day by the legion of cooks to create the dishes that Ferran invented were by some considered to be not only unhealthy, but life-threatening. The top of the mountain can be a lonely place, but you don't get there without a humble beginning. Most great people have one. And for Ferran, it was stepping into the kitchen on June 15, 1980 for the first time to start working as a dishwasher at the Hotel Playa Folie, where he was a lost and directionless 18-year-old. Chef Moy ran the kitchen at the hotel, where Catalan classics got churned out to feed the guests that had traveled to the hotel in the Barcelona coastline to eat. Ferran was working as a means to an end. He didn't care what he was doing, he just needed to make money. He had spent his childhood dreaming and working towards becoming a professional soccer player, but he just wasn't good enough to make it. He failed, and his last coach told him so. For three months, he turned up every day and washed the pots and pans of the cooks, all under the watchful eye of the chef, who eventually started to teach him, possibly out of boredom, how to cook the Spanish cuisine, and something inside Ferran's mind clicked. A light bulb went off. He liked this, he could do this, and he was good at it. The chef had given him a copy of the 6,500-page recipe book El Practico, basically the standard book for Spanish cuisines, and he threw himself into it. Every day and night when he wasn't working, he would pore over its pages, memorizing and learning the techniques, methods, and secrets to the cuisine of his homeland, a cuisine that up until that point he had basically ignored. The chef noticed that every time Ferran was asked to make something in the kitchen, he could do so from memory. Every time a question was asked by another cook about a method, ingredient, or recipe before the chef could reach for his own copy of El Practico to answer them, Ferran would be reciting the answer to the cook from memory. It was apparently an astounding thing to watch. His brain could remember everything. After a year, the chef had had enough and admitted to Ferran that Ferran knew more than him and that he was better than him, so he politely asked him to leave. And not wanting to stay in a place where his vast growing knowledge was underappreciated, he left to go on a vacation to Ibiza. The kitchen life had been fun, but he wanted to do what any 19-year-old wants to do. Party. It was shortly after his return that fate stepped in and stopped the young Ferran from wistfully falling into another career. The Navy sent him a draft notice, and Spain had a new sailor. To say that Ferran was disappointed to be drafted would be an understatement. He was furious. The Navy requires an automatic 18 months of service in Spain, which to a budding 20-year-old must have felt like a lifetime. Because of his knowledge in kitchens, he applied to be a cook and spent the next month preparing the Navy-required food for his fellow sailors, counting down the days to when he would be free from his mandatory experience. 
Shortly after beginning to cook for the other sailors, his talent was recognized by his superiors, and he was offered the job of being the chef for the Admiral of the Navy and his family. He would be running his own kitchen, feeding a small group of people, and sometimes catering large parties that the Admiral and his wife would throw in their villa on an island off the coast. Sounds pretty great. Like most government spending, the budget he had to work with was seemingly unlimited, and in no time at all he began to delight the Admiral, while also filling the void of his creativity by ordering and experimenting with more and more unique ingredients. That was the hint of the spark of what was to come. It was about to be his summer vacation from his service, and all Ferran could do was dream about beaches, girls, Ibiza, and freedom. But a friend of his who was also a chef on mandatory service told him that he should go train for a few weeks at a small Michelin-starred restaurant on the coast in Roses, Spain. The last thing Ferran wanted to do was go work, but he relented. And when the friend told him that there was a private beach, Ferran found himself being picked up by a waiter at a bar near the train station in Roses, being driven down a winding, narrow, and treacherous road toward the restaurant that would change everything. El Bulli. Hey guys, it's Brian. Look, I'm a chef, and despite my best efforts to eat healthy and take care of myself, most mornings it's a coffee for breakfast and then I head into work. I'm 32, and my body at the end of the day is not happy with my choice for nourishment, and that's where Revive Organics comes in. Revive Organics delivers every week healthy, organic, preservative-free smoothies in the most convenient way possible, frozen and ready to blend in the morning. It takes less time to make a healthy smoothie for breakfast than it does to brew that pot of coffee, and I feel great. You can check out Revive Organics at their website, reviveorganics.ca, and get started on your way to a better and more balanced life. And now, back to the show. In December of 1983, Ferran was released from the military. He had an open invitation to work at El Bouli, and so he slowly made his way to the coast taking his time. He eventually arrived at the restaurant and was named chef de partie for meats, so basically he was responsible for the prepping, cooking, and cleaning of all proteins on the menu. The very, very French menu. Remember that El Bouli was already an established restaurant that had a Michelin star. He spent that winter season drinking and partying all night long with the other cooks, and then stumbling in from the beach in the morning, they would grab coffee and head right into the walk-in refrigerator to try and sober up the cold. For two years, he worked his way up through the ranks in the kitchen, while the owner of the restaurant watched him, until eventually it was decided that Ferran should be the head chef. He instantly decided to discard the ancient French menu that they had been preparing for so long. The only item he decided to keep was terrine foie gras. The rest must go. The timing for his new position as head chef coincided with the annual winter break at the restaurant, when the cold temperatures and narrow roads kept diners away. Ferran was sent by the owner to work in France for a few weeks, soaking up how the French worked and cooked. It was his first time in a French Michelin-starred kitchen in France, and he was amazed at how such large teams of cooks, sometimes 20 to 30 of them in one kitchen, could work together. He was used to six or seven. In 1985, Ferran the chef returned to El Bouli to begin what he thought would be a remarkable start to the year. He had a new menu, a head full of ideas, a good team, and for the first time in his life, a free license on creativity. 
And this is where the real story of Ferran Adria begins. In a perfect world, this story would continue on that diners couldn't believe his intelligence, that he was a golden child, and from that point on, success came quickly. But it didn't. He was failing. Days would go by without a single customer. There would be weeks when no one would come. On the off chance that a few people walking down the beach came in for lunch, Ferran would have to run to the fridge just to see what he had to make for them. This type of emptiness was torture. Standing in a kitchen with hardly any food, writing down these grandiose ideas and concepts for dishes that he would probably never get the chance to do. And even though he would wow guests if they happened to have any, the next day there wouldn't be any. In 1987, Ferran was 25. He had only been cooking in kitchens for seven years, and he had spent the last two of them cooking for no one. He entered that year's winter break determined to do something about it. For one, he would extend the break from two months to five. And in those five months, he would create an entirely new menu. Not just one of copied dishes from another restaurant, a new menu of dishes that had not been made before. He was angry. He was tired of failing. He spent the winter going to restaurants all over France, seeing what the new radical chefs were doing with Nouveau Cuisine. And then along with his brother Albert, who's going to get his own episode of the show one day, would figure out how to go further, how to push the boundaries of food to a new place. Except not with French ingredients, with local ones. There was one rule in the kitchen at El Bouli. Even though it was slow, and even though there were no tables, you did not get to stand around. You did not smoke cigarettes, you did not drink coffee and do nothing, you created things. The team would rally around Fran and his whiteboards, and would fail all of the time in their attempts to invent new dishes and techniques. When one idea would explode in oil or catch fire, they would clean it up and then figure out how to make it better. Failing constantly led to some of the most iconic dishes to come out of their kitchens. Fran and his team were forging a path that had yet to been defined by anyone in history. They were inventing molecular gastronomy. And it's funny that this term, molecular gastronomy, is one that Ferran hates. He liked to call what they were doing deconstructivist cuisine. Basically, taking a dish that is well-known and transforming all of its ingredients, or at least part of them, and then modifying the dish's texture, form, or its temperature to create something brand new and exciting. His goal was to provoke surprise and delight the diner and to give them an experience. And it was working. A customer didn't go to El Bouli to eat. They went to experience the meal. You would think that after two more years of innovating and creating, the world would have caught up to the fact that something was happening in the kitchen at El Bouli. But it hadn't. There was an article in a Spanish newspaper about the hotel and the beach surrounding the restaurant, but nothing about Ferran or the food. This continued in that way for a while, and the money that the kitchen was allowed to spend was quickly running out. Instead of buying lobster, they would buy langoustines. Instead of foie gras, they would buy liver and figure out how to make it taste like foie gras. The limited budget forced them to create new ways to cook things, and still no one came. By 1990, Ferran was close to finding a new place to work. He was tired of working for the owner and tired of having to explain himself. The owner had had enough as well and offered to sell him and his business partner at the restaurant. So after figuring out that they were probably about to make the biggest financial mistake of their lives, they borrowed $200,000 from the bank, bought their mini-empire on the coast. Owning Albuli changed Ferran. He suddenly didn't have to answer to anyone but the mortgage, and so the flurry of creativity that followed was no surprise to anyone. 
On slow days, they would remodel the interior. On days off, they would pour pavement in the parking lot to make it easier for people to stay. And every single day, more and more food was being invented. The food press didn't care about what was happening in the kitchen. They thought of Ferran as a weird Willy Wonka-type figure who lived out on the coast and made strange things that definitely weren't food. And still, he pressed on. Slowly but surely, more and more cars would drive down the mountain road to the restaurant. More and more reservations started to come in. It had been nearly six years since he had taken over the place, but finally people were coming, and whispers were flowing up and down the coast of Spain and into France that out on the coast there was a madman in a kitchen that was doing something amazing. Hey guys, it's Brian. Despite what you may believe about being a chef, the last thing we want to do when we come home after a long day is cook any more food. Normally we eat whatever is fast and easy, and we all know that usually means something unhealthy. Thanks to HelloFresh, that has completely changed. HelloFresh delivers fresh, delicious, and healthy meals to your door that you can prepare in 20 minutes. My wife and I have been making them for a few weeks now, and we honestly don't think we'll ever go back to wasting time and money at the grocery store buying expensive food that will just end up going bad in the fridge. Right now, listeners of Let's Talk About Chef can head over to HelloFresh.ca and use the promo code LYNDSA8 to get $40 off your first week of HelloFresh. Again, if you want to change the way you eat and make your life easier, just use the promo code LYNDSA and then the number 8 to get $40 off your first box of HelloFresh. And now, back to the show. Joël Rubichon is a chef that most of you will know. If you don't, he's considered to be one of the most important chefs ever. And in the 1990s, along with Marco Pierre White, he was so famous that a single word from him could drive people to your restaurant in droves. And that was exactly what happened. Since 1992, Robochon had been eating at El Bouli in secret. He would go alone, eat by himself, and leave dumbfounded by what he had eaten. And that's saying something. When he announced his retirement from kitchens in 1996, something in France that would have the same effect as LeBron James announcing his retirement today in North America, he was asked by the biggest French newspaper who, if anyone, could be as good as he was. Who, if anyone, could one day take the reins as the best chef in the world? Rubichon smiled and said, he's already here. Ferran Adria at El Bulli in Spain. And with that single sentence, everything changed. By 1997, Ferran Adria was the most celebrated chef in the world. His restaurant was a temple to what was possible in food. And for the six months a year that the restaurant was open, it would be able to serve 8,000 guests. And every year, they would have over 2 million people try and get a reservation. They came to try food that would magically, in front of them, go from hot to cold, solid to liquid, and sweet to savory in a single bite. The other six months, Ferran and his team would hide in their laboratory in Barcelona and invent new dishes. And not like a few new dishes. They would create a brand new menu for every season with up to 40 courses for one meal each dish having dozens of new methods and techniques involved in their creation and execution. Veron's only rule with the new menu is that they would never repeat themselves and never copy anyone else. 
People would fly from all over the world to get a seat at El Bulli. Chefs would pay their respects with pilgrimages that would result in them leaving the kitchen scared of what they had just seen and experienced, but inspired. Cooks that wanted to be a part of the kitchen would sleep in tents in the weeks leading up to opening for the season in the hopes that they would be allowed to work for free under the genius chef. Some of the most important chefs today came through his kitchen, including Rene Redzepi from Noma, Grant Ackett's from Alinea, and even Ferran's brother Albert, who has taken over the mantle as one of the best chefs in the world at his own restaurants. It won Best Restaurant in the World on the 50 Best List more than any other restaurant has ever been able to and will ever be able to again. El Bulli's been given more accolades and titles and trophies than will ever be matched. To come along in the 90s, when French food was so dominant, and to not only forge a new path with cuisine, but also be able to survive intact after failing for so long, is something special. The impact El Bulli and Ferran can probably be said best by Rene Redzepi. Ferran gave us freedom. He launched the Thousand Ships, He is the one man that you can trace everything that's happening in modern cuisine today back to. El Bulli closed in 2011. The decision to close the doors shocked everyone, but truthfully, Ferran had bigger ideas in his head and the pressure to keep creating perfection. To keep creating and never repeat himself was finally enough. Since 2011, El Bulli has been transformed into the El Bulli Foundation a place where great minds from all over the world can gather and learn and teach not only about food, but art, music, and culture as a whole. It will be a place that hopefully will be able to continue to push the limits of what creativity and failing can accomplish. And if it fails, you know it won't really matter. Something better will just come along in its place. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark, and produced by Tim McDonald. Our theme song is Cone of Light by the Almighty Defenders. Thanks to HelloFresh and Revive Organics for letting us talk about them this week. If you want to reach out to us, please write to us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or join our Instagram page at letstalkaboutchef. Next week, we are back on Wednesday with a new episode of 86 History that involves Genghis Khan, Steak Tartare, and a super drunk guy who just wanted some meat and cheese and ended up creating the biggest selling food item in the world. We again cannot thank you enough for listening and sharing the show, and we'll see you next week.